0: You're listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast with host Jennifer Mattern, helping serious freelancers, bloggers, and indie authors go pro.
1: Hello and welcome. I'm Jen Mattern, and you are listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. This is episode 33. You can find show notes and related links for this episode at allindierwriters.com or slash podcast slash 33. In today's episode, I'm joined by UK freelance writer, Philippa Willits, who writes for publications like The Guardian. Philippa and I are going to tackle a bit of a pet peeve topic of mine that you may have seen me talk about on the blog, which is the Insta expert craze. So let's just jump right in. Welcome, Philippa. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hello. Philippa and I are going to chat about experts and being an authority, and this is a topic that I touched on in a previous episode, episode 27, which was on trust experts and blogging. I will warn you up front, there's a lot of profanity in that episode, but if you want to hear it first, you can find it at allindiewriters.com slash podcast 27. Philip and I are going to expand upon that. That previous episode talked about the importance of finding legitimate experts when you're a reader and being able to tell the difference between these pseudo-experts and people who actually know what they're talking about. So Philip and I are going to look at the other side of this then. We're going to look at it from the perspective of writers like you. Whether you're a blogger looking to be seen as an authority in your niche or a freelancer who wants to be seen as an expert or an author who wants to be seen as an expert as well for the niche that you choose to write books in. And what we're going to do is talk about the way these pseudo experts or what I like to call Insta experts are coming about these days and why you should not be one of them and some of the dangers to you as a writer if you choose to take this approach. And then we'll give you some tips on actually building real expertise to become an actual authority in your specialty area. So, I guess Philippa, let's just kind of jump right into this and talk about you know what it means, you know, when we talk about insta experts or pseudo experts. Why don't you take that and tell them what that means to you?
0: Well, I think an example is an article that we discussed months ago. Now, I can't remember the specifics about it, but it was something like how to be a successful virtual assistant, and it gave, you know, five steps how to do it, and then at the end it said, in my six months as a virtual assistant, (laughs) this is what has worked really well, so good luck, yay, go for it.
1: Alerts to be going off, alarms.
0: Yes, exactly, oh and it's that kind of thing that it's fine to say. It's fine to say this is how my first six months went. Yes. It's not so fine to say. I I'm an expert in how to do this because I've done it for six months, exactly. and I think once, like you and I, you've been a freelancer for. X number of years. (laughs) Too long. (laughs) You can kind of spot it quite quickly and
1: you then start seeing that there's an awful lot of it online. Yeah. And I've noticed it seems to be an increasing issue in the last two or three years in particular with freelancers. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that seems to be that there are these marketers um who basically they are selling they're selling their own expertise they're not actually out there earning the bulk of their living freelancing or anything like that what they're doing is they are putting all of their attention to marketing themselves and their image and turning around and teaching freelancers how to do the same thing not yeah. they're not teaching you how to become an expert or how to be some sort of a legitimate authority in a niche or specialty but they're teaching you how to pretend to be one just as they are and it's yeah. become a real trend and it's scary from the perspective of a consumer.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, because if if you are starting out as a freelancer or if you're a year or two in, then when you need advice, you need it to be good, you need it to be accurate. You want it to not just be something that's there because it fills a space.
1: Exactly. And I was having a conversation with another freelancer who was debating, you know, keeping or giving up coaching services. And what I had told her was my philosophy is basically, if you haven't been at it for five years, talking about freelancing specifically, you are not in a position yet to advise other people on how to run a successful freelance business. And the reason for that is because, at least specifically here in the U.S., Half of small businesses fail within those first five years. So you Yeah,
0: similar stats here. I can't tell you off the top of my head what they are, but it's, it's along the same lines.
1: And if you haven't, look, if you haven't gotten to that point where you're in that top half, you know, which still isn't even all that impressive, then how are you going to teach other people how to build a sustainable business if you haven't done it yet? Being in business a year or two isn't enough spending your time just marketing yourself and pretending that you're doing these things and then teaching it, it's not enough. And at the same time, you know, I should note you know, she and I had talked about this whole concept of, well, if you have 10 minutes more experience in something, then you're qualified to teach it. That is such utter bullshit when it comes to things like business advice. And this is the difference. You see it in marketing advice all the time.
0: If you can play three chords on the guitar, you can teach the guy who can only play two chords on the guitar.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's dangerous. I mean, it's fine if you
0: learn in the guitar, but it's not if you're setting up a business.
1: Exactly. And that's what I had talked to her about. I was like, you know, It's one thing if you want to test tools and teach people how to use them to do something yeah. specific or in a certain way, that is very different. And yes, you don't need years of experience to do something like that, to write tutorials or to just simply share your experience like you had mentioned. But when you're giving people business advice or anything related to, you know, finance or law and, or anything really that has real consequences for them, then you have a certain increased responsibility. And I'm seeing a lot of freelancers these days who do not take that seriously. And that's why this is so important. We're going to be talking about you know, the risks to writers who choose to do this. Um, against what I would hope is their better judgment. You know, everybody just wants the easy path to money is what it really is. And the problem is you're not going to be around long if you do this. Most of you aren't. You will be found out because there are real experts out there and they're not going to take kindly to you stepping in and screwing over the people that they are trying to work with or help. Um, And that's why it's a particular issue for me in freelancing. I spend so much time helping other writers and i've been writing for clients now for about 17 years so you know for me it's really offensive when i see somebody come in and say oh i've been added a year so buy my course and buy my ebooks i'll tell yeah. you how to run a successful business it's like no you won't sweetheart because you're still taking those baby steps and learning and you're not in a position to teach you should still be absorbing information and that's dangerous because i've had so many other newer freelancers come to me after going to these people and they was just thinking that I, yeah, I people come to me. I've done this because it said it there. Yeah. And now this has gone wrong. What should I do? Exactly. And that's what, you know, this writer that I had mentioned, I was talking to about this, you know, she had had issues, you know, multiple times, actually she had come to me where she said, you know, so-and-so told me or I, I heard this at such and such a place. And it was like the same place every time giving this bad advice and she wasn't happy with where she was as a result. And it's like, okay, well, there's your clue. Don't get advice there anymore. And maybe don't do what they were telling you to do because look where it's gotten you so far. Um, and this happens all the time though. It's not just this one writer. And there are usually the same few offenders who end up screwing people over basically. They leave them floundering and they come to the rest of us for help. So people do hear when you're screwing up and you're pretending to be an expert and you're not, you can bet your sweet ass that your colleagues are gonna find out about it. Because these people that you screw over, they're going to go to someone else for help. So there's risk number one. Your reputation is at serious risk when you start giving out unqualified advice. It has the potential to cause real harm for people.
0: Because if somebody who's new reads that advice, they don't know it's bad advice until they do it. Exactly.
1: But the rest of
0: us who read that advice, we do know that it's bad advice. Mm -hmm. So just because the newbies don't spot it straight away doesn't mean that you're getting away with it, I would say, because the rest of us still read it and think, oh, God, don't do that.
1: And we talk to each other because we We all know each other. So, (laughs) you know, the fact that nobody's calling you out publicly does not mean you're getting away with something. Let's back up for a second here and talk about how these writers are going about becoming Insta experts. Um, You know, one of the examples that I hear all the time from writers in this position, or I see them do this, or this is the advice I see them getting, is to use guest posts and things like roundups on their own blog to essentially, Yeah. yeah, they're leeching off of the expertise of others who, or their authority status without building their own. Now there's nothing wrong with doing guest posts. You know, obviously there's benefits to that. But if you're only targeting blogs that you think are going to lend you their expertise in a certain way, you are not doing it right. You should be going to places where you can genuinely help the readers. It's not about what the blog does for you solely. You have to be able to offer something in return. That is how you build your own authority status. You can't just borrow it. And, yeah. you know, this is, um, I was talking to yet another writer not that long ago. We um, we're talking about, you know, how people put logos on their website to say, as seen in. And yes. uh, I'm redesigning the site. It'll be redesigned by the time our episode airs. But I'm planning to add one. And I hate them. But I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> But what we were talking about is that it seems like every freelancer these days has the same, like, three or four big media sites. Right. And it's like, well, do you know why that is? It's because these are the media sites that either, A, aren't paying writers, so it's really easy to get your stuff accepted there, or they're the ones who have essentially turned their online editions into a form of content mill, where, again, it's very easy to get published compared to publishing for the actual magazines. Yeah. So they really don't have the same kind of authority that they may have had five or 10 years ago in that sense. And I think eventually they're going to screw themselves over. Just like I called it with demand and Google finally going after them years before they did. It's going to happen. These sites, you know, Google's going to realize that they created the mess and they're going to eventually fix it. And these sites are going to, you know, get screwed over. And I'm cool with that. Um, But in the meantime, you know, you have all these people who are pretending that they are experts because they were in X, Y, and Z publications, when really they were just on the content mill portion or blog network of their websites. Mm. Um, again, they're just trying to borrow authority from those names.
0: That is to a degree what guest posting does. Yeah is lend you that authority or give you a kind of nudge of it.
1: Yeah, and it gives um, you that audience, though. That should be your focus, is that, au- yes, that existing absolutely. audience.
0: It's 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 more than that, and
1: it needs yeah. to be more than getting
0: a stamp for your website to add to your as seen in Exactly,
1: piles. exactly. Um, the way I'm going to be handling mine, which is a little different, is rather than focusing on things like guest posts, um you know, because come on, let's face it. All you're doing is buying a credit with free content with a guest post. So I don't really consider that a huge authority booster. But you know, again, it's more about reaching that particular audience if you're doing it right. And so what I'm going to be doing is focusing on publications and websites that have cited me as an expert source on their own. Yes. Or have ranked me in some way without me having yeah. to submit something or nominate myself or some other nonsense. So it's going to be more things like that. And yeah. I would yeah. like to see more of that. And some people do this, consultants do this very well, but I don't see yes, freelancers doing it.
0: Yeah, I've seen that. And with for me, within my work, I do some journalism and I do some commercial writing. And interestingly, my journalism work often gets me more commercial writing because Clients love to see that I've written for The Guardian and The Independent and those things that are still part of my job and that I get paid for because that's not promotional work. Exactly. It's journalism work. But of course a client thinks, well, she's in The Guardian, she must be good and it helps both ways. But that's kind of earned, you know?
1: Exactly. Exactly. And that's the thing about expert status is you have to earn it if you want it to last. Otherwise you're going to be found out, which we, you know, we already touched on that and your reputation will suffer. And if you are writing under your real name, which a lot of freelancers are, and you fuck up your reputation by doing something stupid like that, well then guess what? You are either done or you have some serious reputation, you know, some serious damage control to do, which I don't think most freelance writers are really qualified to handle. No, or no. you have to start over from scratch and use a different name or something or in a new specialty and it's Why like why would you do that to yourself? It's not yeah. worth the risk and maybe that's just because I come from the PR background where I have seen this happen sure. And I have had to clean up messes Where yeah. I know what crisis management looks like and sweethearts Most of you are not cut out to do that for yourself if it happens suddenly so yeah. don't yeah. do stupid things you know it's that's really what it yeah. comes down to don't do stupid things it's just crazy another
0: another thing i see that's quite naive more than damaging more naive i'd say is people who use freelance guest posts so they guest post for other freelancing
1: blogs mm-hmm. but in order to attract clients <laughs> yeah
0: and you kind of, you know, they're the blogs they read and you see how it happens. You see that they think they're the big writing blogs. That's where I need to be. Yeah. But in fact, that's not where you get your clients. That's,
1: exactly.
0: Clients aren't hanging out on the freelance writing blogs.
1: I actually wrote a guest post for Lori Widmer's blog. It's one of the, I don't do a lot of guest posting. I, I don't need the exposure. So I generally do it when people ask me to or if I have a particular sure. reason for doing it. Lori Widmer, she runs um, Writer's Worth Month, I believe it's every May, and I believe in supporting that, so I try to do a guest post every year for her. And Uh the one I did this year was actually on this topic that you're talking about. It was on how freelance writers can use guest posts correctly to actually land clients, that it is not about those blogs, you know, that other writers are reading. You have to be where your clients are. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's a big deal. And I will link in the show notes at allindiewriters.com slash podcast slash 33. So you can read that blog post if you want tips on better guest posting yourself. Absolutely. If you want to write tech, then post on tech blogs. Exactly. If you want to write health, post on health blogs. You know,
0: it's, I can see how it happens, but it's a waste of everybody's time.
1: Yeah, it really is. You know, and there's nothing wrong with publishing on them once in a while. You know, obviously, this is a writing site. I obviously accept um, content from other writers occasionally, but do it for networking or something. You have to have some actual reason for publishing on those posts. Um, In my case, like I said, I do that to support Writer's Worth Month or most guest posts I will actually publish on smaller writing blogs because they're new bloggers that I've met and I want to help them out. Um, so it's not just, it's not always about you or finding a way to make money from your guest post or something like that. Sometimes it's just a part of networking and being a part of the community and that's Mm. okay. Just don't get so caught up doing that, that, you forget to use them more effectively to find clients if that's a marketing method that
0: you choose to use exactly it's not one i've ever really done much on in terms of client attraction but i can see how it can work if you do it right
1: yeah so you know we're talking a lot about guest posts and how like i said there's nothing wrong with guest posts at all The problem is when you think, well, if I guest post on X, Y, and Z blog, I'm then going to be seen as an expert. That is the problem because that's not the way it works. The way it works is, or the way it should work if these bloggers are doing their jobs and vetting their guest contributors, is that you should have the expertise already so that you have something of value to contribute for their readers. So build that authority status, build that real expertise. And then your content is going to be much more valuable and you're going to have a much bigger appeal to show up on better blogs and, you know, major media sites too, not just blogs, of course. Yes. And the same kind of thing goes with roundups. You know, it's perfectly fine to do a roundup on your own blog and bring in experts to get quotes. And, you know, again, I'm working on one of those for the anniversary month this month and there's nothing wrong with that, but understand That those experts giving feedback to your readers does not mean that you are therefore an expert. And we see this like all the time and it's so frustrating. They think, well, if I have somebody come and do a guest post for me and they give great advice, or somebody gets quotes for my roundup and gives great advice, then, oh, it makes me look great and I'm more of an expert. And it's like, no, you don't have the expertise, so you brought in people who did. And that is fine. That is fine, but don't let it go to your head. Don't try to ride people's coattails, and don't think that it makes you something other than what you are. You still have to do the work. That's what it all comes down to. Yeah, absolutely. The other day, I mean, those roundup posts can be really valuable. They can be, I mean, cynically, they can be a great way of getting the experts to retweet your blog and all of that stuff, Mm -hmm.
0: as well as providing really good content for your Mm -hmm. readers. The other thing I'd be wary of with roundup posts is who
1: you ask. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because if you round up the opinions of people who've been doing their job for six months um, (laughs) or people who have been found out elsewhere maybe to be not as reliable as as they say they are or something like that, then that's your reputation you're
1: publishing
0: the advice of people who aren't equipped to give good advice.
1: You're right. I've, you know, I frequently turn down requests for quotes. If I am told certain people are going to be involved, you know, bloggers will come and they'll brag. Oh, we got so-and-so to agree. It's like, well, I know so-and-so is basically a fraud, so I don't want any association with that person. So sorry, bye. And that happens. It's not like it doesn't constantly happen, but it happens often enough that, it leads to interesting conversations. I'll just say that, where it's suddenly people <laughs> are curious and paying attention now as to uh, what other people are really saying. And so, yeah. So if, if there's somebody I don't want to be associated with, and I know they're going to be involved in Roundup, then I don't take part. And the same thing, you know, you brought up, you know, bringing in newbies and treating them as experts. Well, when you start calling other bloggers experts, and they're not. Not only does that make you look bad, but again, that's something that goes to their head. And then all of a sudden, other people are going to do it. And we see this, I think I had referred to this as a sort of circle jerk effect among groups of buddies. um, Where you have a group of newer writers and they'll all start calling each other experts and having each other on their blogs as guests or roundups and guest posts. And it becomes a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy then where other bigger blogs start paying attention and bring them in. But those people are still not experts, and yes. the advice they're giving is often bad and dangerous. It's often the same as each other gives. Like you don't get yes. much new advice on these kind of newer exactly,
0: blogs exactly. With, you know, you know that the advice is just rehashed some, you know, somebody, you can often yeah. trace in your head exactly whose advice it originally yeah, was. It's
1: just regurgitated garbage. And yeah. you know, I had that happen. I, you know, I mentioned that sometimes I'll write guest posts for newer bloggers to help them out. Yeah. It, there was some, there was one of these bloggers, I had helped them out with a guest post and then they came to me privately asking more questions that were kind of related to the topic And the next thing I know, you know, I had taken time to write out a nice detailed email explaining what they were asking about. And the next thing I know, they're writing about it on their blog, giving my advice with no credit as if they're an expert. Needless to say, I have not helped that writer again. (laughs) But that's the kind of thing that will get around. And we're not going to miss it if you do it to us. Um, And again, it doesn't make you an expert. You can't just hear it from somebody else. And think it makes you qualified to teach. There's a yeah. big difference between hearing it, learning it, doing it, and then doing teaching. It,
0: that's it. the biggie, and that's yes. the one that often somehow slips by.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the hard part. It involves yeah, work. Of <laughs> and you know, we we're talking about roundups. There was actually a really good example that we were involved in, where I said, you know, I don't do. It's a guest post that I did for Muckrack. And it was a roundup post. Oh, yes, post. I remember yeah. this, yeah. Now, I mentioned, you know, I usually do guest posts for sites that come to me if I'm going to bother to do them. And yeah. Muckrack did. You know, their editor came to me and asked me if I'd be willing to chime in on an issue related to journalism and public relations. Mm-hmm. And I said, sure. And I pitched it to her then as a roundup post. You know, she had come to me with the topic, and I said, I thought it would be a fun roundup and so I said, I had some, you know, journalists and PR contacts. I think this could be cool. So she agreed. And you were one of the journalists that I, I had on and I had people like Jason Falls. You might know. I mean, it was just a, you know, was a whole load of people. It yeah. Was we had Lori Widmer on. We had Jeremy Pepper. Um, you know, one of the guys I respect most in PR. Um, Ike Piggott. I love him again. He's with Alabama Power does their, you know, corporate PR and you know these are really well-respected people and I didn't just go out and find newbies to bring in you know we had Christy Hines on to talk about you know the blogging side of journalism and so it was a good group of people and that makes the difference so not only you know it was something that I could do to give value to their readers they saw value in it the editor loved that post and it was just, I don't know, it was a way to, it wasn't me saying, oh, hey, I don't know any of this stuff, so let me bring in experts.
0: You were using your expertise to get the best people.
1: Exactly. So, you know, I had told the editor, I said, I have experience on both sides of the fence, yeah. and I could sit here and give you stories all day long. You know, this was um journalists versus PR people and the kind of horror stories they have about each other and dealing with each yes. other. And, man, I could give you stories on both sides all day. But I said that just feels so boring. So I think it would be more fun to bring these people in and get different perspectives. And I think it was a much better article because of that. And so, do you know what I loved about that post was that it
0: wasn't the usual suspects. Yeah. It wasn't all the same people we see quoted in every yeah, post exactly. that relates to journalism and PR. It was new, pe- well, not new people, but just a different setup. Yeah,
1: it was a different and mix. I really appreciated that. I mean, obviously I was in it, which was great. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, even beyond that, it was a very interesting and useful
0: post to read. And it, was, it wasn't it was the same thing I'd read a hundred times about yeah. how PRs can be better and how journalists can be better and how we can work better together. Yeah. It wasn't that same post that we'd already read.
1: And that was the best part for me, too, writing it, is that you guys actually came up with feedback that I wouldn't have thought of. Get, yeah. these are really cool stories you know we had a corporate PR guy we had you know someone from a firm we had someone more on the social media side journalism you know we had you in the UK we have Laurie who did more trade publications we had Christy to cover the blogging side so it was yeah. a really good mix and yes. that's something that's important if you're going to do a roundup post and you want it to help you look better then work your contacts and don't just go to those usual suspects like Philippa just said you know, because we've already heard what they have to say. We've probably yes. seen their blogs. We've probably seen them on a 100 other blogs. And so what? You know, get somebody yeah. else. And um, yeah, you know, it's even okay to get newer people into a roundup as long as you're honest about what they're bringing to the table. Just don't yeah. call them experts. Yeah, so don't think we're saying you can't ever talk to newer writers or, you know, bring them in and or it, things like that. it can be really
0: valuable to say what do writers in their
1: first year want to know. Exactly. And have that kind of roundup. I mean, exactly. that, would be, that would be a great post for writers in their first year or two to see what, you know, to see that other people have got the same questions as they do. Yeah. To you see what kind they of learn. switch
0: the roundup round and have it as a roundup of questions rather than answers almost. Yeah.
1: That's actually a great idea.
0: I like that idea. I just popped up with it. Well, write it. <laughs> yeah, I <think> I might.
1: <laughs> but yeah, so you know, we're not saying don't, you know, we're not saying ignore new writers, we're not saying don't do roundups or don't do guest posts. We're saying be responsible about it and understand that it's about you providing value and that these other people do not give you expertise or authority status. You still have to earn that. Now you keep, you can earn that by creating valuable content like this, but you have to go beyond it. You still have to build that experience because the real value and where the real authority status comes from, it's not from you parroting what you hear or what you read. It's from you sharing the experiences that only you have. If you don't have anything to say of your own, you are not an expert yet. You have a long way to um, go. Going
0: back quite a few years, there's a massive internet marketing forum that I pop into occasionally. Which one? I usually leave in a
1: state of despair. <laughs> Which one but is this?
0: At Warrior Forum.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's huge. It's been yeah. around for years. I haven't been in a while. It, it's where. Uh, do you know it? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And um, I haven't.
0: I, Nowadays, I can't even remember the last time I had a look, but certainly I used to, because quite a lot of my work, quite a lot of my commercial writing is in the marketing type industry. Yeah. So it's good to keep an eye on what people are doing.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: And there used to be, and I'm sure there still are, there would be posts in this forum saying, how do I drive traffic to my website? I've set up a course that I want to teach people, but nobody's coming. And then you'd have a look in their signature and their course would be, how to drive traffic to your website. (laughs) And so they had, you know, or what pay-per-click ads should I use? And then their course would be, how to use pay-per-click to get your, you know, your website up and running. And it happened again and again and again. This wasn't a one-off. It became almost a meme within the forum. And it's an extreme example, but it's very common in the internet marketing world. And it seems like some of the freelance blogging world, while not quite that bad, is aping some of those behaviors, you know? Yeah, yeah.
1: No, I definitely see what you're talking about. I don't know. It's frustrating. You know, I, I think I had given an example on an episode with Princess, you know, we're talking about forums. I had started, didn't start my business there, but I used to be at the digital point forums a lot. I was a moderator there for a while. Okay. And I got a lot of my clients there. I went there to learn more about building a website when I was in music PR mostly and only writing on the side. And I ran a big industry or a big regional indie music publication. It was like the top, resource here and I wanted to expand. So I went there to learn about that. And what I found was that there were a lot of online business owners who desperately needed PR help and they had more money than musicians. So I started transitioning. Ah nice move. Yeah. So while I was there though as a moderator, this is the part I had shared with Princess in another episode, was there was this guy. He was advertising press release writing services and calling himself an expert and saying people flew him across the country to write press releases, which is absurd and (laughs) like like crazy. And this same kid, he came to me and I say kid because he was a kid. He was a teenager. He came to me privately on the forum to ask me for advice on how to get started as a press release writer. But, you know, he's pretending that he's this big, you know, Jet setter professional being flown all over the place to write press releases, and here he was, just starting out, and Mm. all a lie. And it was like, oh my god! It's like, why do you do things like that?
0: And you know what? It's fine to be starting out. Everybody who gets somewhere started out at some point.
1: Exactly, and you You, don't have to advertise. Maybe charge lower fees to get going. You you know.
0: You maybe do a few favors, but yes. it's fine. You don't have to pretend to have been doing it for 20 years when you've just started. Exactly. Everybody started. Yeah. You started. I started. You know, there was a point where we were all beginners.
1: Exactly. And we don't forget that's what fine. that's like. You know, We don't forget what that's like. And yeah. you don't have to advertise the fact that you're a beginner. No. You just don't but advertise. We
0: don't fact. lie about yes.
1: made-up experience. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, okay, let's, let's move on a little bit now, um, to another really important risk. And I think this is probably the biggest risk. It's perhaps the most unlikely, but you still need to be aware of it. And that is if you are out there pretending to be an expert in something that you do not understand, you run the risk of getting your ass sued and, that is especially true when you are offering business advice, financial advice. If you give any kind of legal advice, that's just idiotic yeah. unless you're a lawyer. Um, don't do those things. You know That is very yeah, there different. Are laws, I mean, there are laws in different countries, but so yeah. I certainly wouldn't go near giving any
0: kind of accounting or tax or finance exactly. advice. I would not
1: touch that. Exactly. That's why I don't touch taxes. I had a finance writer come in to handle anything on that. You know, that is for an expert, not for me. Um, And so, yeah, if you're giving advice, again, this is not, we're not saying that you have to have loads of experience to teach everything. You can teach people how to be more productive by, you know, sharing tips. You can teach people how to, I don't know, you can teach people how to do all sorts of things in a tutorial fashion. How to get motivated how yeah to, all or,
0: kinds of
1: things yeah how to macrame i don't care <laughs> just you know whatever <laughs> but you can teach things you know that are skill based but what you should not be teaching when you do not have the expertise would be again things like finance law um, even anything health related and certainly starting or managing a successful business Because if you set people up to fail, there are real repercussions for them, which means there are real repercussions for you if you fuck them over. So you have to be more careful. They are not the same thing. Teaching someone how to do something specific is not the same thing as teaching someone how to run a business. Or if you're writing a book about, um, I don't know, some sort of a health fat or something, you know, a diet fat or something, and people could get really hurt then yeah. yeah, you need to be careful about those things. And if yeah. you don't have the expertise, if you don't have the credentials, do not do it. Get your ass out there. Do the work. Yeah. Learn what you need to learn, and become an actual expert. And then you can teach to your heart's content.
0: And relating to the previous point, don't much like don't give legal advice. But certainly don't ever ever pretend you're a lawyer. <laughs> you know, like there are degrees. I, certainly don't go pretending you're anything then you're not in this yeah. in this arena more than any other I would say law and finance and yeah, those kind of things just do not don't go near that
1: yeah exactly so you know what let's maybe help them see that it's not so hard to become an expert. I, I, I'm going to yes. actually backtrack myself because okay. I don't want them Let's to also, that <laughs> <laughs> we also don't want you to think that it's easy to become an expert because it's not, it is work, but it's not as hard as I think some writers assume it is. They assume yeah. that you have to put in a ridiculous amount of time or, and look, yeah, you do have to put in the time and the longer you go, the more expertise you're going to have and yeah. the more you can teach. But you do have to, earn, like you said, it's earned. It's not something that's yeah. given to you. You really do have to earn that status if you want it to last and if you really want to do right by the people that you're trying to teach or help. And so let's talk about building real expertise and, you know, ways to do that. And I'll let you start. What would you suggest? Yeah. Okay, I think um, a good first step
0: is something that we have touched upon, which is that you don't have to teach the entirety of how to freelance, but you can learn a specific skill or a specific piece of software or a specific tactic and teach that once you've learned how to do it. You don't have to have 20 years of experience to show how to do a tutorial on how to use Scrivener.
1: Yeah, that's
0: or, true. A, or a blog post on my epic six week marketing plan that gave me these results.
1: Yeah, those are good examples. And, you know, because they're very, they're limited and they're specific yeah. and they're measurable types of things or they're tutorial based. So yeah, that's, that's great, you know, kind of build your way up from there, you know, start with the little things, um, just, be, you know, be careful that you don't expand your advice beyond those things at first. But, yes. yeah, I mean, that's a great example. When you mentioned software, Scrivener was the first thing that popped into my head because yeah. I'm thinking I love and I hate that software all at once because, yes. I mean, it's amazing. I think you're not alone. <laughs> it is amazing. I think every writer should have Scrivener. But it is so difficult to learn at first if you don't have the time to really sit down and dig in. And yeah, I, I bought it, it a few
0: months ago, and I clicked on something like View Tutorial, and it was just something like 6 Pages of text, <laughs> and I thought, no, thank you very much. You know, I'd I'd rather watch a twenty-minute YouTube video.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and and get on with it.
1: Exactly. I mean, like, so
0: make that video if somebody hasn't. You know, yeah,
1: or make a better
0: one if they,
1: they have. Yeah, I mean, there are people out there who yeah, just you know. specialize. There are people out there who just specialize in coaching people how to do use Scrivener, and that's Absolutely. great. I man, I I could probably use that one of these days. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, that's a great way to start. And you know, something else you can do is to take real courses. And I don't mean little online mastermind groups and things like that, but real courses from qualified instructors. Go to your local community college if you have one or whatever local university is around. Um, Just take a course. A lot of universities
0: offer online courses now that are very valid, you know,
1: with real universities. Yeah, yeah. Or professional organizations. You know, there are professional organizations that offer courses and seminars and such as well. And sometimes you'll find, you know, your local chamber of commerce or something like that, at least here in the US, where you can get an education in certain areas. It's not going to make you an expert on its own, but it's going to give you the fundamentals that help you to build expertise, and that's really what yes. it comes down to. You can't, you know. We ta- i can't remember who I was talking to you now, but we were talking about recently, um, you know, internet marketing, and how once you see something on a lot of internet marketing blogs, it's too late. It's just too late. Yes. That's—it's t- done. It's—it's it's yeah. too late. You should be moving on to something else by then. You should be ahead of that curve, ideally. Yeah. If, and, if they're selling their course on how
0: to do it, then it's too late to do it.
1: Exactly. And, you know, you, sure, you might still get some benefit out of those things. I'm not saying don't read marketing blogs either, but you are never going to be ahead of the curve. if, And you're never going to be that expert by waiting around for other people to do the work and report on it for you. When yeah. you take these courses, like take a marketing fundamentals course and things like that and basic business courses, when you have those fundamentals you can adapt to the changing market conditions and find new tactics and tools and methods and test them yourself and you know, then you become the expert because you're doing not only is that kind of like original research in a certain way with where you get to report back on it first, but you're gonna benefit from it just as a freelancer or author or whatever, you know, a blogger or whatever you're doing because you're gonna be able to put those business skills to use to get more clients, or sell more books, (laughs) or get more blog traffic. I did it slightly the other way around. I started reading, when
0: I first started out, reading marketing blogs because I needed to market my business, and got so into it that I took courses and ended up writing about that as a specialism. So it worked out quite nicely.
1: Yeah. You know, did you find that the fundamentals... Helped you kind of go beyond the blogs at that point, or how did you? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And also helped me to develop a degree
0: of like an ability to differentiate between good advice and bad advice as well. That's a good point. Like, once I had the basics, having been taught that, then I could make judgments about what I was reading and think, yeah, no. Yeah. Quite often.
1: Yeah. And, you know, that's something, again, with since we're talking about marketing specifically that I come up against a lot because I have um, an educational background that covers both marketing and PR. I, you know, when I hear marketing advice and they're saying it has to be this way or it has to be that way and blah, blah, blah. And the PR side of me knows that that is wrong because we tend to run campaigns that get even more exposure without the financial outlay and such by doing something very different. So people will often see what I'm doing and think, oh, she doesn't know anything about marketing. And it's like, what I'm doing at that moment is not marketing, it is PR. And it is actually just as effective, if not more so. And so there's that sort of side of it where you have to, you know, when you have those fundamentals and you can say, okay, yeah, I see what this marketer is saying, but I know that this could be even better because I have Mm -hmm. the background. And I understand, you understand the consumer psychology and you understand, you know, things like media relations versus pitching influencers, which are not the same thing. And, you know, when you have that kind of background where you can kind of see where they're coming from and really weigh the pros and cons and, you know, the alternatives and things like that, um, that's really beneficial. Otherwise, I'd probably just be following marketing advice that I'm getting from other people. And yeah. it's not all good.
0: Like you can tell when a certain piece of advice has has made it to the mainstream. I don't know. I suspect you have the same as me, but I most days get an email
1: from someone telling me there are broken links on my site <laughs> yeah. and suggesting I change the broken links to links to this person's website. Yeah, I hate those. Do you get those as well? Oh, I hate those. I ignore them. Yeah. And obviously, at some point,
0: somebody did that successfully, and then they wrote it up as a case study, and then someone stole the idea and wrote about it on their place, and and now everybody's going, oh, you know what I'll do?
1: Yeah, I'll email
0: people awful emails in terrible English about broken links,
1: and (laughs) you just know
0: that it's way past good advice now. Maybe it worked for that one person, maybe it worked for a couple of people, but now everybody's doing it and everybody like you and like me is ignoring those
1: emails. Yeah. And that advice has been circulating for years. That's one of the older ones. Yeah. And yeah. you know, I, we've seen it with the the guest post pitches where it looks like oh, everybody's, oh, look worse. <laughs> I have mine filtered actually with the redesign this month. I now have it set up where guest posts, they have to come through a certain form. If they email me on a different address, it goes immediately into the trash and, if, and the form requires them to submit the actual article because I'm sick and tired of getting a list of ideas when I specifically tell them, do not send me a list of ideas. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've had enough. I don't accept many guest posts. I have no intention of accepting many guest posts, but I keep getting put on lists of sites that accept guest posts, yeah. which is where this comes from. Um, so yeah, but there's that. And just a lot of the pitches, really, there was... um. A new trend last year, I guess it started, where bigger companies started reaching out to bloggers and they were suggesting topics for you to write about on your own oh, blog. we <laughs> yeah. No, go for it. <laughs> I know what you're gonna say, and it's the worst. Yeah. They tell you what to write about on your own blog, but they're telling yes. the same thing to every blogger they contact. And they do it because they want you to write about what they want you to write about and then link to them. And it's like, yeah. no. They're doing not, literally none of the work. Exactly. They exactly. tell you what your blog needs content on, which is offensive. Yes, it and is. And they tell you to promote whatever
0: their random business is. It's, yeah. it's. I don't know if they ever have. I mean, what would make anyone say yes to that? I can't think of a motivation.
1: What they to try say, to say. Yeah, okay. Yeah, what they try to do is say, um, at least what I've seen in a few of them, is they'll say, you know, and if we think yours is one of the best posts, then we'll yeah. feature it on our site. And it's like, sweetheart, I have more traffic on my blog than you have on yours. Yes. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't need you to link back to me yeah. for this duplicate content crap that you want. So I don't think yeah. so, honey. And um, it, yeah, I mean, it got, it was pretty bad. Like, And I'm talking legit businesses, like FreshBooks did it and Canva yeah. did it. I quit yeah, using handbook a month.
0: I think I've only had it a couple of times. But it was I think it was another accounting type software. Yeah. It wasn't FreshBooks, but I can't remember what it was.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure FreshBooks was the one that had hit me. Um I wrote a nasty rant about it um after I believe Upwork pulled it and I have no love for Upwork. Yeah. Um, you know, which is tied to you know, Elance and Odesk from that yeah, merger yeah. for those who don't know and Um, so I was like doubly offended because my site had railed against that company and they were too lazy to even search for their own name first, um, to see if I had said anything about them before. And it was like, so yeah, I wrote about them. So they got coverage, just not what they wanted. Um, (laughs) eh, oh well, (laughs) but it's just, yeah, you know, stuff like that is, um, yeah, it's just, I don't know what is up, but yeah, if you're hearing shit on marketing blogs like that, you know, these examples we're giving you, I mean, it is overdone. So it's okay to try stuff, but if everybody's already doing it, look for ways to tweak it. Look for ways to do something a little bit different to really stand out. Otherwise, you're just going to get lost anyway, and you won't be seen Definitely. as an expert Use that your way. your
0: imagination a bit. You're a writer. You know, you've exactly. got a bit of creativity in there.
1: Exactly. Yeah. You, if you want to be seen as an expert that you really, you have to stand out, you have to find ways to make yourself different than everyone else. Yeah. So, um, so that's important, you know, take courses and get those fundamentals so that you can adapt and do something of your own. Um, Definitely. and just work experience, do the work. You know it's not that hard you know if you want to teach people how to freelance then freelance and yes you're going to have to freelance for years if you want to teach people how to run a successful freelance business and not just do it on the side it's got to be your yeah, job exactly and look it's one thing if you want to teach them like Philippa said before how to do something specific about freelancing or just share your journey as a new freelancer yeah. that's fine But don't let that morph into advice you aren't qualified to give and I see that all the time they start out with good intentions of oh it's just my freelance journey and then the next thing you know they are acting like they're an expert and you have to be careful have a content strategy know what you're going to talk about know what you're going to share and you can build a real following doing that there's nothing wrong with having a blog and such as a newbie but share something that is appropriate, make it about your story and not advice. And you'll eventually get that expert status, you know, as you put the time in and then yes, you'll be able to start teaching and you'll be qualified to do it. So work experience, you just have to, you have to, have to, have to do the work. So um, another option, go ahead. A tip I got early on when I was starting was that the
0: bits of the job that are really tedious or really boring or really repetitive are the bits that most people will try and skip. Yeah. So if you do the work, then you're already ahead. And so if ever I'm, you know, doing my accounts or something really (laughs) tedious or, you know, doing some outreach to potential clients or dealing with editors or whatever... And I just think this is really hard work. I don't enjoy this bit. Yeah. And then I think, well, that neither will a lot of other people. And I'm doing it, so that puts me ahead. You've got to keep yeah. getting ahead.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And you know, when you put the work in, you know, like you're talking about, you'll get mm. there. You'll get to that five-year point and be one of those fifty percent who make it that far. Yeah. And but you just you have to put the time in. And that's not saying that you can't earn other money or teach anything else along the way. Just, you know just have a little self-respect you know yeah. or better yet respect the people that you're trying to reach um, and if you want some longevity
0: in your blogging career or your making courses to sell career then you need to have respect for that longevity and not start out too soon because In another five years, will you be embarrassed by what you've already put out? And if so, that's not going to do your career any
1: good at all. That's a great point, you know, because a lot of the marketing that you're going to do as a writer is probably online. Once it's out there, it will never completely go (laughs) away. Never. You're going to learn that lesson one way or the other, you know, at some point. Um, Don't let it be because of these kinds of mistakes. Oh, the other option we kind of touched on briefly before was I had mentioned um, original research. And that is another way to become an expert. And again, it goes back to doing something other people aren't doing, having information that other people don't have. Yeah. If You know, you don't have to necessarily put in, you know, five, ten years of experience to be an expert, but you could be an expert at some very narrow thing by conducting research among professionals and reporting on it and analyzing the data properly, you know, yeah. not just putting out yeah. bullshit. Some
0: of the best I read a lot of SEO blogs because of, again, my commercial work. <laughs> Some of the best SEO blogs and their best posts are original research based on massive data. Yeah. Um, that they've gathered through their work and then analysed and then reported on. And yeah. that's really valuable um, to them as content and to yeah. other people. You know, if there's been a big Google change and a big algorithm change and a lot of websites lose their rankings, someone will come out with a big, massive big data analysis of it and that's where we learn how it works. now freelancing writing isn't so much of a big data thing it's Mm -hmm. not about massively crunching spreadsheets so much but you can still work out your own research and carry it out and come up with something new
1: yeah and that doesn't mean you know publish things publish research related to freelancing and other writers but think about your target market you should be specializing if you want to be an expert you better be specializing And so think about that target market, the industries that you focus on or the type of writing that you're focused on and conduct surveys and such and report on that. You know, if you specialize in writing sales letters, you might, you know, conduct some kind of research related to the conversions for, you know, different types of sales letters, maybe on sales letter length. You know, that's always a hot topic. Yes, I was just thinking that, yeah. yeah, Short versus long is one of
0: those endless debates.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, we're not gonna get into that one. I, I always get a no. little. I get riled. I get riled up by that one. <laughs> um, but yeah, so think about your specialty and what kind of research you can do. And again, keep it narrow. It doesn't have to be some huge research project. And then release thought leadership pieces like white papers, you know, and do it regularly if you need that kind of exposure and get real good professional information in people's hands. Um, but yeah, you know, we were talking about good stats a second ago in SEO blogs, and I just want to say, be really careful if you do that, that the information you're providing is good. I was writing yes, for a social media God, blog. Yeah. Yeah, I was writing for a social media blog for a client a while back, and I absolutely ripped apart Mashable as an example because they had published some bullshit stats that yeah. were just completely wrong. The data was incomplete. It was a nightmare, and people were taking yeah. this and sharing it and reporting on it, and it was like, no, you need to be careful because. And they had they pulled the post down. It was that bad, and um... yeah,
0: I know there was a year or two ago because I, in my journalism hat, one of the things I write about a lot is disability issues,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and as a result of that, I'm on eight hundred thousand health press release lists. <laughs> get a lot of health related press releases very few of which i actually write about but i got one um, often all journalists get something at the same moment yeah so if there's a typo
1: twitter lights up instantly <laughs> with journalists with a press release with the typo but yeah there was one mm-hmm. that i
0: got a while ago about how eating chocolate Call, eating dark chocolate a certain amount once a day caused more weight loss than not eating chocolate
1: <laughs> Oh my god so of course
0: you know the newspapers loved it the magazines loved it everybody was posting or everybody was writing about this research and um, and it turned out to be quite an elaborate not quite a hoax because the research was true it had been carried out kind of legitimately, (laughs) but as part of a deliberate plan to show how lax a lot of health journalists are. (laughs) um, Because it was was one of, they did basically a massive study that compared dozens of variables with dozens of outcomes. So it may have shown that eating broccoli reduces your blood sugar or not eating cabbage causes weight gain or you know it <laughs> c- compared so many things that basically it had to come up with something that was statistically significant
1: yeah
0: but it wasn't setting out as the decent like reputable research study it was purely to demonstrate that ju- not even ju- I don't want to blame journalists when it's often the publications really yeah. will jump on these stories without having a good understanding of how research is carried out and what's really statistically significant and not and so a few weeks after this story was the headline in every newspaper and women's magazine and actually it was a ploy by researchers who wanted to demonstrate that health journalists and often the publications as well um don't look properly into the research that they announce with you know party poppers and balloons in their newspapers Um, and I think it gave people a lot of people pause for thought before jumping on their next health press release and saying oh eating Brussels sprouts causes cancer or whatever the next press release said.
1: That's actually that's fascinating. I'll have to look into that one. That sounds right up my alley. You know, it my, was my really exterior. interesting
0: because I'd ha- especially because I'd received the press release and thought, oh, you know, if I was that kind of journalist, I'd probably be jumping on this. And so I, could, I kind of felt like I <laughs> could have been there yeah. because I probably, you know, I probably wouldn't have done it that differently if I was working on a broadsheet and if there were deadlines and if people were throwing word counts at me. You understand how it can happen, but equally, you strive for it to never happen on your watch.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. No, you know that's it, the reason that's so fascinating to me is because I think I'd mentioned it in a previous episode that I plan to eventually go back to school. Um, plans, thank you Brexit, you Brits. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Got um, delayed until I know what's going on there, but more likely than not, it won't happen there now. Um, but eventually the plan is to still go back and work towards a PhD. And my real interest area in research is about journalism, you know, media and expert sources and statistics, Mm -hmm. things like that. And the statistical reporting where the data is coming from, is it good or the journalists have access to the right data and the interpretation, especially with online media and how it's affecting readers. Um, so that sounds really fascinating and I'll have to, um, look into that. I'm for sure, sure if you Google it,
0: you can find it, yeah. but if you have trouble, let me know and I'll see what I can come up with.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's just, that's so fascinating to me. Um, so the only thing I can suggest, you know, at this point, just as a starting place to build your own expert status is to start making friends with the media. Now your writers, especially for freelancers, you shouldn't have a problem making connections with journalists and such. And the idea is you want to be cited as a source when you do have good information to share. Yeah. And you want those connections so that when a journalist is looking for someone, you're going to be one of the first people they think of. And you can turn to things like um, Help a Reporter Out or ProfNet and things like that. Um, yeah. Or just get out there and network with journalists that cover your specialty. So if you write for a certain industry, look for writers and editors who work in trade publications for that industry. Get to know them. Find out what kind of content they're interested in and find out if it's something you're qualified to mm. help them with, to get your name out offer, there in the right places.
0: Offer to help out say so if yeah. you ever need an expert and I'm not that person I'll see if my contacts can do it for you exactly. make yourself useful
1: exactly exactly and again you know this is it's basic PR stuff that a lot of freelancers never really think about for themselves yeah and, yeah. You, know, it's, and you know I'm guilty of that too I'll admit it right here I I've gotten quoted in places like the New York Times and Adweek and such but that was kind of something I just sort of fell into because people found me because I already had a presence online. Yeah. Whereas, I, go ahead. I use um,
0: an app called Time Hop on my phone. Okay. And what it does is every day it shows me what I posted on Facebook on this date in previous years. Okay. And today I was reminded that quite a few years ago I, I was quoted in three national newspapers, all of which offend me.
1: <laughs>
0: the Daily Mail, The Daily Telegraph, and The, the
1: Sun. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> because of a
0: really angry feminist blog post I'd written.
1: Oh, no. Um, and I'd written it. The, there's a guy,
0: awful, awful journalist guy here called Eamon Holmes, who's a TV presenter more than a journalist, I'd say now. Um, and he'd said something really offensive I'd banged out you know a very quick angry blog post and the these three papers who would normally hate me decided that they hated Eamon Holmes more than they hated me <laughs> and therefore quoted me favorably oh wow in order to have a dig at Eamon Holmes that's funny and yes I'd kind of i forgotten about it and then I checked time hop this morning as I nearly always do and I was, it was just a series of posts going, oh my god I'm in the Daily Mail, oh my uh. god I'm in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you can find yourself quoted in all kinds yeah. of unexpected places and it may not always be wanted.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's that's a good point. I don't think that's happened so far to me, thank goodness. Um, <laughs> I've been pretty Next happy with where I ended up. Rant
0: against the <laughs> keep
1: your eyes open. Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, you know, so like I said, I feel it's weird for me giving that advice because I haven't had to really do that. I haven't needed that exposure. But if you're starting out now, you know, for me, remember, I came in and I made my own niche where I was providing a service to a group that nobody was targeting yet. Um, If you're coming in now, there's less likelihood of that happening. It can still happen. Absolutely. It can still happen. I'm working with another writer right now, and he's doing that. So it can happen. But if you're not... It
0: is tougher.
1: It is. Yeah. And if you're not in that kind of position, and you do need that quicker exposure, then you can't afford to wait around until you have enough visibility elsewhere to get those kinds of citations and interaction with the media. You need to be more proactive about it. And I said it's weird for me being a PR person, having not really thought about it for myself so much because I was always doing it for clients. Um so but yeah, you can do it's not hard to do that. You just have to get out there and meet them and do the work, build the expertise, and then show them what you have to offer. Those are things that you can do. And those kinds of citations are far more valuable than a guest post where you've basically just bought that authority or that mention yeah. with free content. It's far more valuable when they're citing you because they see you as an actual expert on their own. Yeah.
0: On angry feminism against Damon
1: Home. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Now I want to read that. You better send me a link to your, uh, your old blog see, post. <laughs> I'm sure I can. I'll include it in the show notes if you want them to read it too. Oh, goodness. Ay, ay, So, I don't know. Do you have anything else to add or do you think we've kind of covered the gist?
0: I think we've got a good basis there. I think yeah, but in order to teach expertise, you need to have that expertise and you yeah. need to build it up from scratch if necessary and don't just parrot what other people say and have it as if you've thought it up because it can be a bit like you know when one person whispers something to someone else and they (laughs) whisper to someone else and by the time it gets to the end of the line it's a completely different message to where it started.
1: We're supposed to learn I that think, in grade school, you know. We shouldn't still have that. Exactly. As you know. I think that
0: there's always the risk of that. If you're saying, "Well, I read Jen's post and that was great, so I'm going to write that same idea," but you actually get it a bit wrong, and then someone yeah. does the same based on your post and someone else on theirs. There's all kinds of nonsensical advice out there that Jen and I yeah. tweet to each other quite
1: often. <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> and, pretty bad. You know,
0: it's bad. It's bad. And we and we don't want you as a freelancer to be reading that and thinking it's good advice, exactly. but we definitely don't want you to be publishing it and thinking it's good advice.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's not all that's gonna do is hurt other writers who are trying to learn from you or whoever you're targeting. And it's yeah. going to hurt you. And yeah, you know, ultimately it is. Yeah, I know this is a, a little bit of a ranty episode, which is my favorite. But, <laughs> it's you know, the best. but we do, we care about you and your business. Okay. And this isn't yeah. just about what you could do to newbies. This is about what you could do to yourself. And you have to take that seriously because your reputation is at risk and you may not be in a position to repair it if you damage it. So yeah. always keep that in mind. Your reputation as a writer is absolutely vital. Absolutely. So I think Philippa kind of summed everything up for us really well. So that is all we have for you today. And I want to thank Philippa for chatting with me about this. Thank you. Thank you. And if you would like me to tackle something specific in a future episode, you can submit your writing-related questions through the contact form at allindywriterscom slash podcast by emailing me at Jen, that's J-E-N-N, at allindywriters.com or by leaving me a voicemail at four eight four five seven five one three four five. 575 You can find show notes and related links for this episode at indiewriters.com slash podcast slash 33. You can also access this podcast, audio blog posts, and related audio productions by visiting freelancetheater.com. <laughs>
0: You've been listening to the All Indie Writers Podcast with Jen Mattern, a Freelance Theater production.
1: Freelance Theater. It's all writers need for life's little episodes.